Hi, I'm Nancy Dufresne. Welcome to our podcast channel. We know you'll be blessed by today's message. Praise the Lord. I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles tonight. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I was... um, I was watching an interview with, you might have seen it, someone who was, um, she was Smith Wigglesworth's either, I think, great-granddaughter. And she was invited to a convention to um, open the convention, a minister's convention, and she closed her eyes to pray. But when she did, she had a vision. And in that vision, there was a center aisle up in that building. And Jesus walked up into that center aisle, pulled out a chair and sat down in the chair right in the middle of the aisle and said, tell me your stories. And I love that because um, heaven was interested in hearing her rehearse what the movement of God was in her life. You know, when um, Paul stood before King Agrippa, of course, he had more revelation than anyone we have record of other than Jesus. And he didn't reach back into the depth of his revelation whenever he stood before King Agrippa to bring him a sermon. He just started out with his testimony and said, there shined a light midday on the road to Damascus. And there he goes off talking about the movement of God in his life. Because when you hear how God moves in a man's life, you know how God moves in other people's lives. The the specifics, the details may be a little bit different, but it's all about the movement of God. And the word is simply a story, as well as revelation, a story of God's movement in the lives of, of mankind. And it matters that we talk about it. My husband used to make this statement. He said, tell your testimony and watch what God will do. Tell your testimony and watch what God will do. And he was talking to preachers. John Osteen told his testimony so much that he would tell his testimony. He would start it with the first line and the congregation would answer with the second line. (laughs) He would tell the third line. They would tell the fourth line. (laughs) What was it? He told his testimony of the moving of God because you're not just hearing a man's testimony and a man's story. You're hearing what God will do. And if he will move for them, he'll move for you. Apart from the specifics of the details, it's not about repeating the details. It's about the movement of God. Amen. So several months ago, God spoke to me and said, I want you I would refer, of course, to different times of testimonies of things that have happened through our life and ministry. But God said, I want you to tell the story, the history of the healing anointing upon your family. And um, we're going to do that tonight. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Aren't we glad that the woman with the issue of blood stopped and told her testimony? How many multitudes have been healed because she told her testimony? People are still being healed today because she told her testimony. What we rehearse, God repeats. 
learn that. What we rehearse, God repeats. Luke chapter four, verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. What's this mean? Jesus went to church. People say, I want to be like Jesus. Then you got to get to church because you can't be like him if if you're skipping church. If Jesus needed church, we need church. And it was his custom to be there, not his custom to miss it. Verse 17, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And then he goes on and tells what the anointing, the job description of the anointing upon him is to accomplish. He says to preach the gospel to the poor. Notice this, preach the gospel to the poor, not give money to the poor. Not wrong to give money to the poor, but if you don't give them the gospel, you've not fixed the problem. Money, temporary help, gospel is eternal help. So he said he's anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. He's anointed because God had sent him to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled. In your ears, your ears heard it. Prophets have been foretelling it, desiring it. He said, but your ears heard it. It's fulfilled. You would have thought they would have gone, what generations of mankind has been waiting for. And we're sitting here hearing it. They didn't respond that way. They weren't grateful to think this is going to be fulfilled. They got angry. No doubt the devil energizing wrong thinking. And they ran him to the cliff. Going to push him off a cliff. Boy, that sermon went over good. (laughs) They're wanting it to go all the way over. The King James says that he walked through the midst of them, meaning they couldn't touch him. But I like what one translation, it says he disappeared and showed up in another city. So notice this, when, whenever there was persecution, he didn't change his message because of persecution. He didn't care who didn't like it because there was somebody out there who would receive it. Mm-hmm. And I so appreciate that we've learned from that, that persecution is so much better than disobedience, right? Jesus, when he went to this home, his hometown here and preached it. He's trying to help them receive from what's on him. Not get offended with what was on him, but receive from what was on him. Jesus told Dad Hagen in one, in one visitation, he said, this was the first sermon I preached in every city I went to. First sermon. Now, because of the response of the people, 
it shows how much the devil hated the anointing. All he did was get up and say, I'm anointed for this and gives the list of what he's anointed for. And the devil is wanting to stop that anointing. Why? Because it's by the anointing that yokes are broken. The devil works for years, decades, sometimes generation after generation, yoking people up. What, with wrong thinking, habits, addictions. And one moment of contact with the anointing undoes years of his labor. No wonder he's afraid of the anointing. The devil wants to get rid of the anointing. So he's trying, he, these people get enraged. No doubt the devil energizes them. They walk him to the cliff to push him off the cliff. And... Um, how they responded was de- going to determine what that anointing could do for them. Yeah. And Jesus said to, to Dad Hagen, this was the first sermon I preached in every city because if the people did not know what the anointing came to do, they would not receive of it. You're not talking about you. You're talking about the anointing that breaks the yoke. Yes. Amen. Amen. Make much of the anointing on your pastor. It's for your life. Amen. Amen. It's for your family. It's for your health. Talk about what that anointing, the the anointing upon the office of the pastor will do for your life. Amen. Amen. It's right to make much of that anointing. And so Jesus was telling them what that anointing would accomplish for them. And who would have thought that after you preach this sermon and you have this kind of response to where they want to push you off a cliff, who in their right mind goes, I know what I'm going to preach the first time I go to the next city. (laughs) But that's what he did. He didn't change his message because some people didn't like it. That was the first sermon he preached. The devil was trying to intimidate him to not preach that again. Don't talk about the anointing on you. Don't talk about what that anointing will accomplish. That's what he's trying to do. Shut him up about the anointing. I remember um, several years ago that my husband stood in that prophet's office. He was the genuine article of the thing, you know. And uh, he was a sound demonstration of that office. And... um, I remember sitting at a lunch table and Ed had talked about in a service some angels he had seen. And a pastor, precious man, sweet man, fine pastor, precious pastor, good church. We sat at lunch one day and that pastor said, Ed, Ed, don't talk about that stuff. He said, people are going to think you're off. Don't, Don't talk about that. And I saw my husband's response to that because he, he, he respected this pastor. And so I just smiled real nicely, didn't say a thing. And we got to a place where nobody was around us and I put my finger in his face and I said, you forget everything that man said to that's you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He doesn't stand in your office. He doesn't have your responsibilities. He's not entrusted with what you're trusted with. I know he means well, but he's thinking wrong because he doesn't understand your office. He doesn't occupy it. Don't let someone who does not stand in your shoes tell you how to walk them. He didn't have these kinds of demonstrations. So he thought people would think it weird. My husband was not a pastor. He wasn't there every Sunday talking about 
dramatic manifestations, but as a prophet, he would come in and declare things. And people thought, well, that's scary to a congregation, not to someone who knows the word. This is part of our life to have demonstrations and movements and manifestations of God and the spirit of God. Amen. Not to be feared and not to be weird. Amen. And this is what that, this is what was trying to happen that day. That devil trying to intimidate Jesus. Don't talk about this again of the anointing that's upon you. So he just took it. And that's the first thing I'm going to preach in every city. And that's what he did. And that's why he got results because he magnified what God's part is. Amen. Amen. And told them their responsibility toward God's part. When, when dad Hagen in the, I believe, uh, 1951 went to heaven and Jesus put a healing anointing in his hand. He said, this won't work unless you tell him I appeared to you. This won't work unless you tell him I anointed you. Why? Because they won't have faith to they, they won't release their faith in that anointing. People have to be told. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So one of the, uh, the anointing that earmarks this ministry is the healing anointing. And I talk about it because we want you to receive of it. Amen. 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 We want you to know what's on it. And we're getting more, if I could say this, more and more streamlined with it. God is calling for us to do that. There's so many different sermons. I, I pastored for 25 years. I can preach in many different directions, but we're streamlining (laughs) because of what God earmarked this ministry for. And, um, it begins that healing anointing begins with my husband, his mother. When she found out she was pregnant with my husband was 15 years old. Can you imagine 15 years old? His daddy was 16 years old. They were not married. And they decided to go down to Tijuana and have an abortion. But they were both raised Catholic. And in that Catholic church, they were taught a regard for life. And so as they're driving down to Tijuana to have an abortion, his dad looks over at Norma, the little 15-year-old, and said, Norma, I can't do this. He said, instead of us having an abortion, we're getting married. So that day in 1940 was their wedding day. Ed got hold of a copy of the marriage certificate. Of course, it's in Spanish. Couldn't read a word of it, but he framed it. And it sat in what we call the foxhole of our bedroom. We call it the foxhole because of the bedroom was a seating area and Ed would sit back there and watch Fox News. (laughs) And he would talk back to that television and help them, try to help them think right, you know? So we called it the foxhole. And Ed would put it on and put it on mute and it'd just go all day long. This same stories over and over, same headlines, you know? So he would sit in his foxhole, but so much of the time I'd see him time after time He'd get, and I don't know, I think Stephen can probably do his dance. Stephen do his dance? I think I've seen Stephen do his dance. (laughs) He would get that framed marriage certificate and dance around and go, you lost devil, you lost devil, you lost devil. Because that marriage certificate 
was uh, symbolic that God's plan was not aborted. Yeah. My husband grew up in a home of alcoholism, mental illness. His mother was in and out of mental institutions. She had five children. Ed said, man, she, she was rough on us. He said she was a good mother when she was sober and when her mind was sound. He said she was a very good mother. But he said, man, she could put whelps on you. I said, well, I've seen a little bit of you. <laughs> and I said, I can imagine you little. My guess is she'd probably be pretty justified. <laughs> Him and his brothers would chase each other through the house with hatchets. I don't say do that. I'm saying that, I said, brother, that calls for mama go cray cray on you. <laughs> but there were five kids in the family and when she would have bouts when they would have to take her to mental institutions. Ed would, as a young boy, have to care for these five children, help care for them. And you can understand a lot of pressure, a lot of difficulties in the home. She ended up an alcoholic. His dad drank as well. Ed grew up in a home of alcoholism and mental illness. It doesn't matter how you start. It matters what you choose. Quit using a start as an as a reason to count yourself, yourself out of what God's already counted you in on. And so um, 25 years old, he's ends up, he's a construction worker and he's on his way to becoming an alcoholic himself. And he makes an appointment with his priest at the Catholic church. And he goes in and he says, I need help. My life is falling apart. He said, my mind is squirrely. I'm, I'm becoming an alcoholic. I'm going the exact same way as my family. I need help. And so the priest said, well, you just need to get more involved in the church. Well, that's not bad. We're, we're on course so far. And then he said, okay, what way should I get involved? Well, we're having a men's bake sale this Saturday. He said, we don't have anyone, anybody to man the Budweiser booth. And Ed said, do you not understand? I've been manning the Budweiser booth. That's my problem. I'm manning the Budweiser booth. Wow. Listen, you just can't go anywhere and get answers. The church needs to remember people are looking for answers. <laughs> and so Ed just felt quite hopeless when that's where he goes to for counsel and that was the best he could do. You can't fault him in the sense of he didn't know, but that's not help. And then he told Ed on his parting words, well, I think you just need to go through catechism again. <laughs> that means a lot to this former Catholic. <laughs> so he hands Ed catechism tracts and Ed just stuffs them in his pocket and walks out. And he goes to the only place he knows where to go. He goes down to the bar. And um, God said something to me sometime back a couple of years ago. He said, living in my presence 
doesn't come by earning. It comes by turning. And, and he said this, he said, no one has ever turned toward me and me not met them there. I like that statement. No one has ever turned toward me and me not met them there. Met them where? In the turn. Ed went into that bar that day and he made a turn. He turned toward God. He didn't know how to pray. He didn't know anything about being born again. He didn't know it was possible to belong to God. He didn't know that he could become a new creature in Christ, but his insides turned toward God. And no one ever turns and God not see it and meet it. And Ed sat on that bar stool that day and he said, God, he said, my life is going the same way and I need help and I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And he's just sitting there drinking. And while he's there, he hears a voice. He hears it audible and said, you're going to go all over the world and preach the gospel. Well, what that means to him is I'm a Catholic boy. So he told the bartender, Joe, set everybody up with a beer. I'm going to be a priest. (laughs) And he walks around and starts pulling those catechism tracts out of his pocket and handing them out to people. That's the only thing he knows. He took action. I appreciate it. That man was always moving. And he acted at least as far as he knew. <laughs> so on the job, there had been a, a co-worker on the construction site that had been inviting him to come to church with him. And Ed would tell him no every time. But this time he invited Ed to go and he said, I'll go with you. So the very next Sunday after this happened, he went to church and heard the salvation message preached, heard the gospel preached, full gospel church heard the message of salvation and answered the altar call, got born again. And I mean, he got born again. And so the pastor told him, he said, come back to church tonight and bring your Bible with him. So he did. He came back to church that night and brought in Kearney's big old white Catholic coffee table size Bible, had it under his arm. He's back at church. He's already obeying the pastor. So the pastor, he said, people about fainted when they saw him walking in with a big old Catholic Mother Mary on the front, you know, and they hand him a paperback King James version and tell him to take the one back home. I've still got it at home. And uh, he goes up to the pastor after the sermon on Sunday night. And he says, for 25 years, I've served the devil. And he said, now that I belong to Jesus, is there something I can do for Jesus? I want to do something for Jesus. And the pastor said, we don't have anyone to clean the toilets in the church. And Ed said, that's my job. I'll do it. I want you to know when you love God, nothing's beneath you. Because anything that God is attached to, there's the honor of it. There's the dignity of it. Nothing's beneath faith. Amen. Amen. So Ed cleans the toilets in the church and so glad to do it. Can you imagine what it meant like, how true it was for him as when David said, 
I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather be a toilet cleaner in the church where God's people congregate than to be at the best bar in town, tormented in my mind. Yeah. So he, um, he, he's faithful to clean those toilets and grateful, grateful for the rescue. And as he was faithful, the pastor asked him to become a door greeter. After time, he became a door greeter. Then he asked him to become a deacon. After time, he became a deacon. And then as the deacons, they would line up one Sunday morning. They're getting ready to receive communion together as a congregation. And the deacons are holding the elements, the bread and the juice. And they're going to pass it out to the people. But before they do, the pastor's praying as they're all, the deacons are lined up there and Ed said to God, he said, God, I don't even understand what communion's all about. Only been saved a short time. And when he said that, he had a vision. And the roof of that, the ceiling of that church building disappeared. And he said, I saw Jesus hanging on the cross, just like I saw him in the Catholic church. And he said, but as he hung there, he said, I saw words start flying through the air. He said, words that came slow at first. Words like cancer, tuberculosis, arthritis, and different, different diseases. He said then the, they came faster and faster. And he said as they came, each one of them would strike Jesus' body and his whole body would jolt and jar every time. What was he seeing? He was seeing the disease of mankind being laid on Jesus. Yes. Yeah. So... God spoke to Ed one day and he said, the pastor was announcing, we need to build another church building. And um, God spoke to Ed one day when he was at home. He says, I want you to be the foreman of that job. I want you to be responsible for that church getting built. And Ed said, okay. So he went to the pastor and he said, pastor, he said, God talked to me about becoming the foreman on the job building this church, the next church building. And he said, yes, God told me you're to do it. And uh, the pastor said, but we don't have any money to pay you with. So Ed thought, I'm dismissed. They can't pay me. I'm dismissed because Ed would have to quit his construction jobs to take this on. He goes home and he tells God, he said, God, I, I, I told him I'd do it. They, they, they don't have the money to pay me. And God said, I told you to build the church. So he saw he wasn't dismissed. So he showed back up and he says, okay, I'll do it. You take care of my family. So he spent several months building that church. And uh, he's about two months into it. And because there's no money coming in, he runs out of food for, to feed the family. So he starts going behind the Safeway grocery store, going through the dumpsters and finding food that they've thrown out that they can no longer sell. And he said, they thought good food. He, we, we had this ongoing discussion <laughs> in our house. He said, Nancy, it doesn't expire the date that it's written on. It doesn't go bad from the day before to that day. <laughs> okay, I get it, but it looks funky. <laughs> Something smells funky. I've had food poisoning before. I don't do funky. That's right. 
I don't know how it would happen. I don't know how. I have a gal that helps me in the church and I would tell her before he gets out here, you pour that milk down that drain. <laughs> he always walked in while she's pouring it out. Always. <laughs> I don't know if God was in on that with him or not, but how many times and then the discussion would start all over again. So he would go back there day after day to get food to feed his family. And one day he's going through there looking for food and he hears somebody behind him go, hey, what are you doing? And he jumps and he turns around. There's a store employee standing there. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought this food was available. And they discussed a little bit. Ed told him his story of what he was doing. He said, come back here tonight at seven o'clock. He didn't tell him why. He just told him, come back at seven. So Ed went back at seven. He had a pickup truck and Ed got back there and there were pallets of food laid out, pallets. And so he loaded it up, took it up, took it home, filled up his kitchen and then started going around to the congregation and loading up their kitchens. And every day that man would drop off pallets of food behind the store at a certain time for him to come and get it. Now he's eating better than he ever ate when he's buying the stuff. His kitchen's full. Not only is his kitchen full, now congregation, fellow congregation members, their kitchens are full because one man's obeying God. And that happened the entire time he's building this building. Amen. People say, well, I wouldn't go behind Safeway. Well, I love what my husband would say. Faith will do whatever it takes. And so I'm not telling you God will keep you poor. I'm saying while you're learning faith, he'll keep you well supplied while you're learning faith. And so about another month later, he gets the notices, of course, that he's behind on his mortgage because he's now about three months behind and they're talking about you better make these payments or there's going to be a foreclosure. So he goes down to the carpenters union, wherever they give out carpentry assignments, you know, building assignments to carpenters. He goes and goes up to the window and they give him an assignment and he's walking out of the building, going to his truck and the power of God comes on him. And God said, what are you doing? He said, I'm getting a job. And he said, I told you, you got a job. I told you to build the building. He says, yeah, I told you I'd do it as long as you take care of my family and you're not taking care of my family. You say, I wouldn't ever talk to God like that. Well, you thought it. And God, what, what do you say? Uh, you say about the Holy Ghost. He's not fragile. What is that? I, maybe you don't say it. <laughs> He's a lot more durable than we think he is. (laughs) And so Ed has it out with God. And so Ed, God said, I told you to build that building. So he throws down that assignment and he's crying that by now you can understand as a man, you you don't want to not be providing for your family, making sure they're, and, and it's been a stretch on him. You know, I love something that Buddy Harrison used to say. He said, God can pull you through anything if you can stand the pull. (laughs) 
You don't give up when you feel the stretch put on you. You go through the stretch. And so he threw down that work assignment and got in his car, in his truck and he's crying. He says he goes all the way. He drives back to the church. He doesn't know how he's going to keep his home. He doesn't have any money coming in. That day, a man comes up to him while he's at the church and says, Ed, he says, you know, I own a business. I don't know if it's just a man he knew or a fellow congregation member. And he said, I own a business. He said, I, uh, I clean I have a cleaning business. At night, I go in, I clean doctor's office, dentist's office. We clean restaurants. Anything, any business that operating, we, we clean during the night when they're not during operating hours. He said, I know you're building this building. He says, I know it takes all your time and I, I don't know if you'd be open to helping me, but I need help bad. And Ed said, I would love to help you. So Ed took all day long building the church building. Then after then he would go and work most of the night, get a couple hours sleep and start it all over again. He did that for weeks and weeks and weeks because faith will do whatever it takes, you know? And so he, um, he, after several weeks of doing that, the business owner went through a marriage problem and uh, he just picked up and left in the middle of the night one night, went to a different state didn't contact the, his clients, didn't say anything to his workers. And so one of the clients calls Ed because Ed is the one who does their businesses. And they said, you, haven't, you didn't show up last night to clean. Why didn't you show up? And he said, well, he said, the business owner has all the equipment. I don't have the equipment. And he said, he picked up and he left town. We don't know where he's at. He's closing the business, so I can't do it. And they said, but we want you to do it. He said, well, I don't even have equipment to do it. They said, we own all the equipment too. So they said, if, we'll give, if we give you our equipment, will you keep cleaning our business? He said, yes. Yeah. So they gave him all the equipment. And within a month, he's got 12 employees and multiple trucks and he's got his own cleaning business and he doesn't even have to work it anymore at night. He's got enough employees that they work it at night so he can just keep building the church. You just stay with the plan of God and, and the greatness of God's provision and supply will just keep unfolding layer. There's layers to this thing, you know? And so by the end of the month, he's making $10,000 a month. And see, just weeks before, he's crying, having it out with God and holding that assignment at the construction thing. But see, he just stuck with it. And so uh, um, he's making $10,000 a month. He's rescued his home. His kitchen's full. He's being a blessing to the body of his, his local church. He's building the church and the church runs out of money to finish the building. They've been, all they've been doing is buying supplies. So now he takes his $10,000 a month and he starts buying out, buying the church supplies. Cause he said, until this building gets done, I can't leave. I can't get off this assignment. I got to get this building done. I got to buy the supplies myself because I got to get this thing done. (laughs) So he takes his money from this business and he puts it all in to buy the supplies needed for the construction of the church. He's on the job one day and a man comes up and says, God told me to come down here and bring you this pamphlet. 
It was simply a, an ad for the full gospel businessmen's world convention at the Denver Hilton Hotel in Denver, Colorado. And that didn't make any sense to Ed. He had never heard of it. But I don't know whether it was during the 60s, 70s. There was basically a revival going on in the business world. Businessmen would get together, tell their testimonies. And Brother Hagen and different leaders in the body of Christ, they spent a lot of time preaching it for the full gospel businessmen. So this was a world convention. So it had gone widespread, but Ed had never heard of it. But when that person handed him the pamphlet, God spoke to him and said, I want you to be there. So Ed said to God, I don't have the money to go. I'm putting all my money into this building. And God said, sell your house. See, it just keeps going, doesn't it? It just keeps going. <laughs> and so he said to God, he said, well, this is in about 30 days. I can't get a house sold and get my family set up. Uh, he, God didn't answer him. So the next day he puts it on the market. It sells the next day, cash buyer. So he gets the money, moves his family into an apartment so that he can make the trip to go to the full gospel businessmen's world convention. You say, well, I thought you were talking about a healing anointing. It started with the toilet ministry. It started with how he treated the local church. It started with how he honored what God told him to do in the daily things of life. Can I tell you, God had a plan for Joseph. It was to deliver a nation during a time of crisis. And he had to get him in a leadership position. And he saw a young man, gave him a, a dream of his future. But he had to get him to a place where he could position him. No doubt the devil tried to take something out of the man, but God used those circumstances to put something in the man. And he had to get a man ready by the time he's 30 to help run a nation. He did it. But it, what a process. Yeah. What a process. He prepared Joseph. Joseph ended up being, if I could say this, the, 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 the head of the financial end of that nation. Yet he had never had finances of his own. He'd worked for his daddy. He worked as yeah, a slave. Yeah. Then he became a prisoner accused, falsely accused of raping. Somebody. And uh, nothing spectacular going on in the prison. <laughs> nothing spectacular going on as a slave, just doing the right thing every day, keeping his heart That's right good. every day, keeping his cl heart clean every day, keeping unforgiveness out, keeping bitterness out, keeping offense out every day. What's God doing building man? God doesn't build us in the spectacular moments. It's in the everyday moments of life. Quit looking for something spectacular so that you can land somewhere spectacular. Just do the right thing with your mind and with your heart every single day. Walking out your obedience every single day when it looks quite unspectacular. Ed never thought that something spectacular was on the other end of cleaning toilets, but that's where it began. Amen. 
He never thought that there was anything spectacular on the other end of just showing up to build that building every day. But that's where that was part of the process. He had no idea working all day and then going to work at night and cleaning toilets of other businesses was part of the process. But God's building a man and he can build him anywhere. He doesn't need to build you on a platform. In fact, he doesn't build you on the platform. He builds you in the back room. He builds you at your home. He builds you when nobody else is looking. That's when the building process is going on. What was, it, what was God doing? He was building a man because he's going to entrust him with the anointing. So Ed travels to Denver and he hears for the first time a man by the name of John Osteen. Never heard him before. And God said, pay attention to him. He said, one day you'll pastor and you need to pattern yourself after him. The next man he heard was Kenneth Hagin. God said, he's one of the primary reasons I brought you here. He's to be your spiritual father. Stay connected the rest of your life. And we did. Till Dad Hagin left. And then he heard another man by the name of Kenneth Copeland. He was new on the scene. He was, his ministry was just getting started and he preached a sermon called The Covenant Man David. And Ed heard that word of faith message for the first time and came out completely different. After he came out of hearing that sermon by Kenneth Copeland, he asked somebody that was there in the lobby, does that man have any other preaching tapes? Now you understand, we're not talking about cassette tapes. We're talking about reel-to-reel tapes. And somebody, a, a, a blonde woman standing nearby said he sure does and handed him a brochure and it was Gloria Copeland handed him that brochure and Ed got hold of every one of those preaching tapes that were available, went back home and for the next three months locked himself up and listened to the word of faith message being preached. And God began to author things in him. Yes. But as Ed was there at that convention, the setup was that there were multiple meetings going on at the same time. So the full gospel businessmen had rented numerous rooms and you could go to a particular room and listen to whatever minister you wanted to listen to. So one of the days Ed was there, he uh, walks into the lobby and he's going to go into one of the meeting hall rooms. And going up to that meeting hall room is about two to three steps. And there's a woman laying across those steps. Now, Ed never seen anything like that before. And he thought, we've got a medical emergency going on. So he goes up to the man who's standing there next to her and says, what's the matter with her? He's ready to call 911. He said, well, she, she asked, asked me to lay hands on her. She wanted to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And she's laying on the floor speaking in tongues. Ed had never seen anybody lay on the floor in his church. Never seen anybody fall out under the power of God. So he's sitting there, he's standing there watching this woman laying there on the floor, everybody going all around her in the lobby. And the lobby's just full of people. And he says within himself, God, I hope you never do anything like that to... This word never, it, you know, it, it's, it's got a hook on it. It'll catch you. I've learned, get rid of that word never because many times it points to rebellion. Yeah. And God will help, help free you forever from this, the effects of this word never, you know. 
I remember when God, there was something God told me in 1987. He said, tonight the call has come for you to take a tent and go. And I did for the next four years, went to different cities. And uh, somebody said to me, are you going to go to such and such? And I said, I'm never going there. And the moment I said that, God said, that's the first place you'll go. I don't know if that was in the great plan, but it was in the never plan. I've, I, I lost that word. That's when I lost the word never. And so Ed's standing there over this woman, watching her in the lobby, just full of people moving around and going everywhere to those meeting rooms. And he said within himself, oh God, I hope you never do anything like that. He doesn't even get the words to me spoken to himself. And a light flashes. And he falls out under the power of God and everyone in that lobby falls out under the power of God. Scores of people just laying around, falling out, falling out under the power of God. And Jesus walks in and puts a healing anointing in his hand. And Ed said that as he was laying there, he wanted to get up, but he couldn't get up because there was a woman laying on top of him. And he said, and she was a large woman. (laughs) Good. And he said, it took her a while to get before she got up. And he's laying there. (laughs) She finally gets up so then he can get up. And he gets up and she said to him, she said, something happened to you. He said, yeah. He said, my hand is burning. I so appreciate this about God. This, little, this, this gal became a, a tutor for a moment there to him. She, an instructor to him. She said, that's healing power. She said, the reason I'm so large is she wore a tent dress. She said, the reason I'm so large is my whole middle has got a cancerous tumor around the middle and only this tent dress can accommodate it. She said, put your hand on me and pray for me. And he put his hand on her. And when he did, that, that tumor burst like you popped a balloon in it. That dress fell completely to her side and she was completely just average size. But that tumor was massive and her dress is just hanging there. So people see that and they start running to him. Put your hand on me, put your hand on me. And he's laying his hand on everybody in that lobby people falling under the power of God, people being healed. He said there was one person that said they've been seeking the Holy Ghost for 50 years and he laid hands on them. They started speaking in tongues. Somebody came out and said, get him his own room. But he went back home and he was telling his pastor about it. And his pastor said, Ed, you don't want to get mixed up in that stuff. See, there will come opposition to try to get you off the message. Try to diminish the message. What's God emphasizing? You better stay with it, regardless of who does or who doesn't. Stay with what God's emphasizing. Amen. So Ed had been, if I could say this, a favorite in the church congregation. He had, he had built the church for him. He was a leader in that church. But when he came back home and talked about this word of faith message, talked about Brother Hagen and different ones, and the pastor said, Ed, don't don't have anything to do with that. Don't have anything to do with that stuff. 
He said, you know, the pastor said, you know, Ed, he says, I was in a meeting with Brother Hagen years ago. He said, there were several of us ministers that went out to lunch together. And he said, while we were at lunch, he said, I'd reached across to, to pick up something. And he said, on my wrist was a growth. And Brother Hagen saw that growth on my wrist and said, uh, Bob, why don't you curse that growth? And he said, I just pulled up my sleeve and said, no, no, it's fine. It's, it, it's fine. And Brother Hagen said, well, can I curse it? Would you let me curse it? He said, well, I guess. And he said, Brother Hagen just pointed to it and cursed it. And he said, and that thing just disappeared right in front of my eyes. And then he said, Dad, now you don't want to get involved in anything like that. I go, well, that's what I'm wanting to get involved in. <laughs> See, when you don't think right, you don't even recognize the movement of God. You don't honor it. And you get left out of it. You only get to participate with what you honor. Yeah. And so uh, there came pressure from that setting against that healing anointing. It was, as the usher, his passing the offering bucket down the, down the row one day and a woman stood up and started screaming, my mother, she loved God and she died of cancer. And it's going like, <laughs> what's that God? But I mean, they would attack him verbally during the middle of a service because he believed that Jesus was a healer. They, they refused to believe that he would heal. It's the will, it was the will of God for her to die. She died. She loved God. And so Ed said, basically, they pushed him out of the church. It broke his heart. But you know what? Never hold to people more than you hold to the plan. Because the plan will give you the right people. The right connections, the right supplies in your life. Never hold to your friend more than you hold to your pastor. You'll create friends in the church, but they're not first. Amen. Stay with where God put you. So Ed had to stay with what God put in him and what God was demanding of him. And so word got out though. Ed had had the, the, kids, the kids church. They'd given him that class. And there was a boy that was born without a hip socket, eight years old. And Ed laid hands on him and Ed said, sound like a gunshot went off. And God put a hip in that boy. And the pastor and the parents got so mad. They became so upset that he had to leave the church. And so that word got out that healings were happening. So they invited Ed to come to a place that they were holding Bible studies every week. And they asked him to come and be a part of it. So he loaded up his tape player and took Brother, Hag Brother Copeland's reel-to-reel -reel tracks. And he would put it up on a table up at the front and said, I'm going to lay hands and minister to the sick. But he said, but first, Brother Copeland's going to preach to you. So he'd push play and then he'd go sit down. <laughs> and Brother Copeland would preach. And then at the end of the tape, when that's over, he'd get up, turn it off and say, now I'm going to minister to the sick. And he'd lay hands on the people and they'd get healed. Brother Copeland loved that story. He'd tell that story. He asked Ed one time, he said, did you ever send me any offerings off all that preaching I did for you? 
I told Brother Copeland, I said, I'm trying to make it up to you, Brother Copeland. I know there might be interest on this thing, but I'm trying to make it up to you. And so they were preaching buddies, but only one of them knew it. And and, and, and I guess, what was it? And I don't, 2021, the first time I preached at EMIC, 2021, do you know how amazing it was when they asked me to come and preach at their church? And I, I was telling this story about how Brother Copeland and Ed were preaching buddies, but half of the team didn't know it. And I said, so Brother Copeland into Frame Ministries meetings a long time ago. But I said, then now for Dufresne to be preaching in a Copeland meeting, that's big news. <laughs> that was amazing because yeah. I thought back yes. at the tapes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what that place meant to me was the starting place yeah. of it all. Yeah. And so about two to three months into Ed hauling his tape player to the meetings and one day he's getting ready to put it in and God spoke to him and said, leave your tape player at home. Well, he knew what that meant. He's going to have to preach. <laughs> so he goes that day and he preaches. He said it was the worst 15 minute sermon you've ever heard in your life. He said, I messed up my words. It didn't make sense. It, I, did, I just stood up there and just fumbled and it was so bad. And he said, and I closed it down and went into the side room. They had a little side room and he says, I'm in there giving God the what for. Don't you ever ask me to do that again. That was so terrible. <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> and there was a knock on the door and he said, come in rather hateful. <laughs> He's mad. <laughs> and there was a little gal that said, Mr. Dufresne said, I, I wanted to show you something, said my little girl was born with a club foot. And you know what a club foot? Kids today wouldn't know what it is, but you have one, you ha your feet go in front of you. A club foot is when the foot is deformed and it points backwards. The, to the toes go that way instead of this way. The whole foot's turned around. And said, my little girl, she, she had a club foot, but while you were preaching tonight, her foot started turning and said, look at her feet, Mr. Dufresne. Her feet are straight. And it goes, off that sermon? <laughs> and now he's not having it out with God. Now he's repenting because he made it all about him when it was really all about God. What God could do when we just let him have a place. And that was where this healing ministry began. But in the 70s, Ed had a vision and saw himself hanging off of a satellite. I don't even know if he would have known what a satellite was back then. I don't know when they became something of that we would even know anything about. But he saw himself in outer space hanging off this thing and saying, Jesus is the healer. Is it any wonder where we got the name for the broadcast? Yeah. Jesus, the healer. We're harping back to what God said yeah. decades and decades ago because he already knew what was going to be happening. And we've, we've stayed true to yes. the vision. Yes. Amen. 
when Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. It's not, not man's vision, the heavenly vision. What has God directed you to? Amen. And so in 1984, my husband and I met and married in Tulsa. But right before we met and married, there was a, uh, a flight, a commercial flight he was coming off of. The flight had landed there in Tulsa and he was coming down the jetway to deplane. And as he was coming down the jetway, God said to him, turn around. And he turned around and when he did, he saw a hundred angels walking behind him. 50 rows, two side by side. And he said to God, he said, God, what are those angels here for? And he said, they've just been dispatched to work with you in the healing ministry. He said, they'll bring body parts. They'll adjust things. You said, well, I thought Jesus is the healer. He is the healer, but they just cooperate with healing power. Like that angel at the pool of Bethesda would come down and stir the water and deposit a measure of healing power and enough for one. And so those angels were dispatched in 1984 to work with him. And you talk about the miracles that were seen. Lots of miracles. In 1999, it had the experience of going to heaven and Jesus touched him on the head and said, I'm giving you an endowment to kill cancer. And there were many uh, healings that came about because of that. But when Ed went home to be with the Lord in October of 2013, it's going to be the anniversaries this week, 10 years it's been. And he... um, Five months after he went home to be with the Lord, I had forgotten it, but I was closing out a meeting and God said to me, he said, when your husband left the earth, he said, those 100 angels that worked with him in the healing ministry did not leave with him. He said, because their ministry is in the earth. He said, they did not go back to heaven with him. He said, 50 of them stayed with you. And he said, the other 50 were dispatched to those ministers closely connected to your husband who also have healing ministries. So see, it does matter where you're connected. It does matter. And he said to me, if you will be faithful with those 50 angels that work with you in the healing ministry, he said, then more will come. I didn't know what he meant by if you'll be faithful with those. I didn't quite know how what he would call being faithful with them. And then the next statement clarified that. He said, that is, talk about them. Because when you talk about them, you give them permission to work. How many of you know that they come and they move in response to faith in God's word? Amen. They have a part to play. Every single one of you have an angel. Why? Because you need them. We don't magnify them. We don't pray to them, but they are ministering spirits as Hebrews chapter one, verse 14 says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation? And how many of you know they're going to minister something good? Well, this week they'll be working. I said this week they'll be working. They've come to assist. Amen. The healing power of God will be moving and will be flowing, but it'll be waiting for us. How do we respond to it? Because the way we respond will show what it can do for us and through us and in us. Amen. 
So I wanted to take the time at least tonight and talk about that so that you can set your faith for the anointing of God. Not, not me, not my family, but what isn't what we're anointed to do. Amen. Because that anointing destroys the yokes. That anointing isn't just there so you can say, I felt it. It comes to do a work. Amen. So it's so important that we declare what that work is going to be done. Amen. Because in, in Nazareth, they declared what that work wouldn't do for them. And it couldn't. And it says there's only two places that we ever find in the scripture that Jesus, that he was, he marveled. He marveled at the faith of the centurion soldier. He said, I've never seen such great faith, no, not in Israel, among you. And then the only other place he marveled was in his hometown. He marveled at their unbelief. Only two things ever caused Jesus to marvel, faith and unbelief. I think I want to be on the faith side of the marveling. What about you? So we come expecting. And not only that, bring in our faith for somebody else. Maybe you might not be in that point of need, but bring in your faith for somebody else because that anointing comes to do a work and we've come to cooperate with it, receive of it. Just as Jesus announced what it would do, we're announcing what's going to happen this week and what it will do. Amen. I believe in angels bringing body parts. Amen. Jesus healed the maimed. Amen. I believe that they bring body parts. I love something that Pastor Amy Siegel, she had a vision. And when she saw the warehouse in heaven with extra body parts, the, th- the thing I hadn't even thought about that she said, she said those parts were living. They were alive. They were functioning. Why? There's nothing dead in heaven. And yours might be dead, but there's living ones. Amen. <laughs> No use having a dead one when you can have a live one. You say, well, that's far-fetched. Not for those who believe. All things are possible, not to everyone, but to who? Those that believe. That's us. We're believers. I said, we're believers. We've come this week to believe. Amen. Why? Because that's who we are. Let's be true to who we are. We're believers. We're not doubters. We're believers. And because we're believers, we're receivers. Amen. Say this. I always receive. I always receive what God has for me. Amen. Stand with me to your feet. We trust you've enjoyed this message. Visit us at DufresneMinistries.org to learn of our upcoming meetings, share your testimony, become a partner, or visit our online store. This program has been made possible by the friends and partners of Dufresne Ministries.